Mac Power Users, episode 556, Mastering Video Conferencing with Liana Lehua. Hello, everyone. This is David Sparks, but I'm not joined today by Mr. Stephen Hackett. Stephen couldn't make it. He uh, wore himself out, gang. You know, he raised almost $400,000 for charity uh, over the last month and I told him he got the day off. So Stephen's not here, but the good news is I'm not alone. Joined with me is uh, Mac Power Users alumni. Welcome back to the show, Liana Lehua. Why, thank you. Aloha all. It's always good to be back. Nice to talk to you. I'm sorry that uh, we're missing Stephen, but that was a lot of work he did. And I uh, just want to say congratulations on that fundraiser for St. Jude. That's pretty amazing. You know, it's like now that he's not here, I can just say, is it weird to be like proud of your friend? But I mean, I'm proud of that guy, man. He came up with this idea. He's raised so much money and, but he did, he is wore out. I, I talked to him and I'm like, man, just take the day off. Go, go to bed. Liana and I got this. Well, you are back and I'm so glad to have you back. Uh, Liana Lahua is a good friend of mine. In addition to being a frequent guest on the Mac power user. So we get to talk technology all the time. And I know there's a bunch of stuff you're doing, that uh, I think the audience would like to hear about. So why don't we start out with, you know, where's your gear these days? Well, my gear, let me also give for anybody who's not familiar with, with what I do is my, my background is in broadcast. Um, I've spent many years doing location broadcast streams all around the world in some really cool places. And so I've spent a little bit of time in the last several years, doing a lot of consulting with companies and helping people create content. And so I use different kinds of gear. Sometimes it's rental gear, but for my my personal gear and what usually works. Well, I actually want to interrupt there a minute because you, you did a better job podcasting than me. You explain who you are. I just assumed everybody knew you because you've been on the show before. But, <laughs> but Liana does streaming for like big names. And if you ever get to meet Liana, there's this thing she does where – You'll be talking to her and you'll insert name of famous politician or president or whoever. And then she'll at some point say, oh, yeah, yeah, I met that person when I did their stream. And it's just crazy how many people Liana has done these streams for. Uh, I mean, you've flown all over the world and it's really I mean, you're really an authority on that stuff. I did spend quite a bit of time and I have some super geeky friends that um spent a lot of time that I spent a lot of time with as well. And so I was with the right crowd at the right time and really got to participate in some stuff. And just to give a little bit of a background on that or briefly to get a sense of where we were before Google plus hangouts existed, we were Google plus hangouts in a very, if I'm going to admit it very kludgy way, but it turned into YouTube live. So now that you can go into YouTube and press that record button, was definitely part of the development of all of that. So just yeah. to get a sense of where we were. So we did a lot of testing and, and, and real life use cases for everywhere from the Obama white house to uh, the great British Olympic team to CERN in Switzerland. So we did a lot of fun stuff. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. And I love hearing those stories. We'll, we'll share a few of them to the extent you can. And um, also for the MPU plus listeners, the uh, the more MPU episode, Leon and I today are going to talk a little about Disneyland because in addition to being Apple nerds together, Liana also used to work for Mickey and we have some pretty funny stories for that. But back to your gear. 
where are you these days? These days in Southern California, um, and it's a uh, it's been an interesting time. And so, personally, I, I do a couple of things for for the the clients that I have, and it just depends. But sometimes we have to rank gear for the larger events, but we haven't had to do that at least in the last several months. And so, my personal gear fits the bill. What people are trying to do now is, you know, reach out on YouTube and Instagram and TikTok and mostly using my phone works, but you know, I go a little bit further in to make things a little bit future proof. So I do shoot in 4k using some Sony equipment, Sony a seven three right now. And that's like the, the, the core of the gear and then all of the audio gear and that stuff around. So it fits in a Pelican 15, 10 case. So right now I'm traveling pretty light, but yeah, it, like I said, in, in a lot of times what I'm teaching different clients now is one will record something in high quality for them again, to future proof it, to an extent, I mean, people are talking about 6K and 8K, but nobody has 6K and 8K TVs. So yeah. I'm going to say we shoot in 4K, had a future proof it. But really, we're downsizing everything to 1080 just to make it, you know, just much more bite-sized pieces. And, and um, they can get it up on YouTube or, again, any of those other platforms I was talking about very quickly. And they can do it on their own devices. Yeah. And we, we've got a whole segment planned for the show today where Liana is going to kind of walk you through whether you're just doing a zoom call with your family or you've got work stuff going, Liana's got some really great ideas and tips to improve that. So that we're going to cover that today, but I also want to just kind of go over, cause I haven't talked to you about this stuff for a while. And, um, just in prepping for today's show, I learned something about you that I, I didn't know in terms of your gear, but you know, what, what Macs, iPads, whatever are you carrying? Oh, sure. So there have been instances where if I'm doing a, a job that I have to turn around quickly and I don't want to fuss, I've rented iMacs, more current iMacs. But honestly, what I'm using now is a mid-2012 MacBook Pro Retina. And it screams for what I need it for. Uh, and we were talking about this recently as I'm still on a first-gen iPad Pro, 12.9-inch. And I'm having a hard time justifying upgrading either. However, <laughs> I'm super interested in the Silicon Mac and the new iPad Pros. So it's probably about time. I've been pretty good. Um, that's, I guess, a, a testimony for the Mac and how it's treated me as well as, I don't know, maybe Apple needs to rethink their business model that I'm not upgrading all the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I think that's particularly true with iPad. I mean, people get iPads and they just, there's almost nothing in them to break. And right they apple keeps supporting the older hardware with the software updates so i think one of the reasons why ipad doesn't sell that well is people once they get one they can use it quite a while right i agree it's just there's nothing that it doesn't do i do a lot of i do a lot of my edits on my iphone and my ipad i'm on an um, iphone uh, 10s max and uh didn't go to the 11 but excited for the 12 um but everything that I've been doing so far has been able to handle with the devices that I currently have. And so I, one of the things that I like to say about that is I know as a member of the MPU listening audience for a very long time, there was a time when I was upgrading with every iteration. I just, I wanted the new thing. I needed a new thing, but I'm finding now that really just, I just needed to be able to do the work. And so like I said, I've, I've been able to get away with not um, having to do that, but I'm excited that, like you said, that Apple is also supporting bringing some of the new functions. And I'll talk about it later, but like iOS 14 and different 
functions that they're bringing in are still available on the older generations. No, I totally agree. And, you know, everybody, you know, I, I think part of the reason why we all feel that we don't need to upgrade as often is a lot of the iOS stuff is maturing. You know, I mean, if you look at the Apple watch for the first couple of years, every Apple watch was a big jump over the old one, you know, brighter screen, you know, uh, a much faster processor. And, you know, they, they were making these leaps. And I think the last year, the leap to the always on watch face was kind of the leap we were all waiting for. And now this year it's a nice new watch. And if you get, once you, you know, if you get the series six, it's going to be better than the ones before it. But I I've heard from a lot of people, myself included, that don't feel particularly compelled to upgrade because the, you know, the incremental change is getting smaller each year on Apple's mobile technology, which, which it should after this many years. Right. Yeah. And I've been looking at it considering like, well, it'd be kind of interesting to get, like, I think some of the features are interesting and mostly I'm actually interested in the, um, the pulse ox or the, um, being able to read oxygen. Yeah. It's not something that I need or anything that is terribly accurate. I have, have other oxygen devices, um, that I, that I use, but I don't know. I think that would be kind of an interesting thing to be able to use and try and, and see what the feedback would be. But I don't know if that's compelling enough for make me update to the new watch. But then you also know whenever you do get around to getting a new watch, whether it's next year or the year after that is going to be in the bag of tricks waiting for you. Yeah. I'm very excited. I'm very excited. Quick aside on the watch. Uh, I upgraded my wife's series three watch over the weekend. I cannot believe what a miserable experience that was. <laughs> and if listeners have series three watches, they're nodding their head right now because her watch didn't have adequate space on it to install the update. So I, I go look at, you know, usage, you know, you can look at your usage stats on your watch and Apple mail on her watch is using like a gigabyte of memory. <laughs> you know, So, so, so crazy. Yeah. And I, I asked her, I said, what, you know, what are you, um, when are you doing your mail on your watch? She's like, I don't think I've ever opened it. I don't do mail on my watch, but there's no way to uninstall it. And then I went to the Apple support forum saying, well, how do I get rid of all this data so I can install the update? And the response was, well, you can select a message and then swipe it to delete it. <laughs> like, are you kidding me? There's thousands of messages in here. I'm supposed to swipe a thousand times. So, so ultimately I just wiped the watch out. I just, erase the entire watch. Then I installed the update and then I restored from backup. But I'm like, talk about a bad user experience. Come on, man. Yeah. That I, I don't understand why it, in, in this day and age, honestly, that there is a single swipe that there should always be a select all delete, you know, some kind of multifunction menu that allows you to select all. Yeah. Especially in that instance. I mean, that's a little bit crazy. Or even just like on your phone, have a button on your phone where you can press a button on your phone and basically nuke your your watch's memory from space, you know, where you don't have to go in and deal with the one inch square user interface. But anyway, I, that's an aside. Uh, the, the thing I learned about you, Leanna, in pre preparing for today's show is that you have evolved into a largely iPad worker. How did that happen? I have for many years. I've carried a lot of equipment and I know it just sounds like a little thing, but I just look for little places where I don't, I can save weight. Um, and so not having to carry, well, was a couple of things. I think. So not having to carry my MacBook pro was one thing. 
And that was a large part of the first reason I kind of looked into, okay, can I do everything on my iPad? And then it just is now as a result of the iPad being powerful enough to do, well, it's a couple of things. And this is something we'll get into a little bit when we talk a little bit about what I'm doing right now. The iPad became more powerful and expectations dropped. Like, you know, we'll talk about it later. And I, I mentioned before, nobody's buying 6K and 8K TVs. Yeah. It doesn't matter in most cases for, depending on what you do. If you're in filmmaking, if you're Christopher Nolan, of course, you need whatever you need, an IMAX camera. But for most of us, we're consuming content on our devices. And in this day and age of Zoom, I mean, look at when everybody first had to start. When we look at everybody, for example, like late night talk show hosts. Yeah. Doing their shows from home. Quality was really bad. Yeah. And then people doing uh, guest interviews over whatever form they're using, Skype or Zoom or whatever they're using now on, on network television shows. Quality is junk yeah it's like i I couldn't get over that i mean when it started i was like man they should pay me i get like a a, you know joe blow podcaster could could help you make this better i mean it's like does anybody understand this stuff well it's like i just think people are now interested it's an interesting place to be because people are interested in getting the content out for sure like that's number one but if you're somebody like you or me and we create content of course, we're looking at the quality and actually the user experience. I mean, that's an entirely different experience. Like, it's not the the what's being produced is really not that compelling. Like, they could, they could make the um the story a little bit more compelling, but it's another thing. But I was watching quite a few different you know large television shows. And I was just surprised with what they were just willing to uh w- willing to accept. Yeah, but how does that tie into your iPad usage? Sorry. So the yeah. quality, the expectation of quality is not there anymore. People don't need the, the don't in the moment, in the moment, a lot of people don't need specific function or features that require me to have a, a MacBook pro, or like I said, my edits I can do using LumaFusion on my iPad right now. The edits aren't, um, they're not complex. So it's not like there's a lot of visual effects or, you know, if there's basic titling and cuts are very basic, the audio can all be managed inside of an iPad. So there's just no reason to carry the iPad Pro. Uh, I haven't seen any reason to do it. Every, everything that I need, there, there are local apps. So it's like I don't even need an internet connection for most things anymore. I can use something local, save it to iCloud or wherever I need to and, and share it easily. So inside of the Apple ecosystem, that's also another reason why uh, creating an I, on the iPad is so easy. Do you have the big iPad Pro? Correct. Yeah. It's first gem. It's 12.9 and it's really big. People look at it and go, I didn't even made it. They made iPads that big. And now compared to the newer iPads, it really does look like a monster. <laughs> yeah. It got a little smaller with the, with the last iteration. <laughs> I, I would imagine that the USB-C and the external drive support actually would be a good reason to upgrade for you. Yeah. I think that's something that we'll, I'll find um, a good reason to, to, to purchase that a, a newer versions of everything. Uh, those will definitely help. But like I said, I mean, and, and the other thing is, so anybody who kind of pays attention to technology in terms of camera and, and video production, and you watch YouTube, everybody's super concerned about uh, record time. And why this is relevant is that people are like, oh, I can only record for 30 minutes. There are instances where you do that, of course, if you're doing a, a live stream or an interview or something longer form. But in in my brain, then it's not the right tool for the job to use, for example, a, 
a, a Sony mirrorless camera. Yeah. Get arguments about it, but I rent a proper video camera and then I don't have to deal with overheating all those kinds of things. Yeah. What I say by that is the things that I'm creating, I shoot for, you know, 30, 45 seconds. There's never any instance for me to shoot. So I'm not having to offload video from my camera that's like 30 minutes long and then have to worry about ingesting that into my iPad. So it's definitely based on my use case. I can get away with the iPad because all my clips are short. Yeah. Nice. And, um, and we're going to talk about apps later, but, uh, I, I just was impressed that you are getting so much work done on your iPad. I didn't realize how far down that rabbit hole you'd gone. And, um, we definitely have some iPad workflows for, for later in the show. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by SaneBox. Go to SaneBox.com slash MPU and get $25 credit on any plan and stop drowning in email. There's a lot of talk lately about email, but did you know SaneBox is the solution that will work with any application and any email service? SaneBox learns what email is important to you and filters out what isn't, saving you hours. It works with all kinds of email programs and services. You don't have to have a special app or a special domain. And with SaneBox, you get a bunch of great features like the Sane Later Box. So it keeps your inbox clean and gives you only what matters or the same black hole. If somebody's pestering you, stick them in the black hole. You'll never see an email from them again. With snoozing, you can defer events until the next business day or weekend or whatever time period you want. And I think my favorite feature is saying reminders where you can carbon copy or blind copy an email to some period of time, like one week at samebox.com. And if the person you sent the email to doesn't reply, you'll get a reminder in one week to follow up. It's just a great workflow to stay on top of email. But SaneBox is more than just filtering. You can move attachments to Dropbox or other cloud services, which is awesome if you're using Hazel for automation. And they have pricing plans starting as low as $4 a month. There's a 14-day free trial. Go to SaneBox.com MPU to get that $25 credit on any plan. 66% of MPU listeners who try SaneBox subscribe to SaneBox. You probably will love it too. That's samebox.com slash MPU. Receive a $25 credit on any plan. Thanks, SaneBox, for all of your support of the Mac Power users. All right. We mentioned earlier about video conferencing level up. And, you know, you, I mean, you've done this for presidents. So I thought it would be fun to talk to you about kind of the underlying technology and what people can do to up their game with their, you know, their video conferencing that everybody is doing now. Sure. There's, there are some very simple things and we've kind of touched on it briefly. We just want to kind of to, to start out again, by kind of talking about the state of video and, and kind of expectations. Now there's expectation and there's what you can deliver. And then what our ego wants us to deliver. If sure. I'm honest, right. Yeah. I'd love to deliver 6k video. I don't need to deliver 6K video. I don't want to work with file sizes. And, and frankly, a lot of us don't want to see our coworkers in 6K video, so it's all good. Right. Well, <laughs> the funny thing, right, is there's another kind of joke. Anybody in the camera world is like the big thing now is I've been using them forever. But these things called um, ProMist filters or people know them as kind of a bloom effect. And the point is that video is getting so precise and so clear that this filter is made to make it look more like film because it's too clear and it shows too much. So 
So yeah. it's just funny to me that now the thing is like you can buy these filters for like a hundred dollars. It's like okay, I'm I'm in the wrong market. I should be selling those filters. Yeah, I, I remember when we went to 4K and the big joke around the house was which actors and actresses made the transition to 4K and which ones really didn't. You know, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, that's so true. But yeah, now there there there's a huge market for for things to make people look uh, less high quality, which is just hilarious. But so we look at now, if you look at, again, video, it's what and what are you doing? What 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 is it that you need to output? Are you outputting for something that really needs to be in 4K? Or is it something that can be done in 1080p? And, you know, I'll argue that unless something's side by side, somebody's not going to notice the difference. And the general population really just wants the information anyways. And so... There are instances where clients just really want something in 4K, whether they need it or not. And the output is, for example, Instagram Reels. They just want it in 4K. We shoot it in 4K. That's fine. Yeah. But isn't that an issue also, though, for bandwidth? Like if, let's say you insist on 4K, but you don't have adequate bandwidth, then the person receiving the video is going to get choppy video from you. Uh, well, so, I mean, there's different ways that you can deliver it. If it's not, if it's something that's recorded and then yeah. we can send it out separately, then, you know, we would just record it at 4K and it's, it's, it's fine. So there are a couple instances kind of in, in what you're talking about, I'll talk about in a second is, um, going back a little bit to expectation right now, I've been doing a lot of research and it seems like engagement a lot of times comes from 60 second Instagram stories and images like memes with text. Yeah. Instagram reels, people will watch, but sometimes people go on reels and then their videos like 15 minutes. Nobody's watching the whole 15 minutes. It's like, just give me what you need to give me in a 60 second Instagram score. Uh, sorry, 60 second Instagram post, 50 seconds, 15 second story or an image or don't make your reels longer than two minutes. Yeah. So there's this thing about the extent the the extended format. There's a place for it for sure. But we're just finding for, you know, a lot of things that's not uh, something that's people really aren't needing. Yeah. And so to have to deliver it that way. Yeah. So I think when we're talking about delivering something and having choppy audio, there's a couple ways that we can do this. So let me use, for example, um, a lot of times we're seeing now people are doing Zoom calls. For example, like Jimmy Fallon had the cast of Hamilton and they performed live. Yeah. They did not perform live. Yeah. So those were individually recorded audio tracks to a click track that were then edited together to look like Zoom. You know, and they all interacted for sure real time. But I guarantee, like, there's no way that delivered with no latent audio. There's not a way to manage that without doing doing a pre-record of this high quality video and then editing it to look like the thing that you want it to look like. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. So that's the first thing I think setting expectations for folks and then just, I really try to get people to use the hardware that they already have, whether it's a windows computer or it's a Mac, whatever it is, use what you have. And some of the basic things that you can do is I always recommend laptop or desktop over using a phone, a smartphone or a, like a, a tablet or an iPad for um, doing what you need to do. If it's what you have, then use it. But you have more options often in a settings. Like if you need to control your your um, audio feed a little more, if you need to record it, for example, sometimes on the, the the mobile devices don't offer those options. 
and then you just have more processing power, right, on a laptop or a desktop. Yeah, but doesn't the mobile devices have better cameras than usually the laptops? They often do. So there are now, I have used them minimally just because I haven't had success with them, but like Ecamm makes uh, a software that you can turn your phone into the camera. Um, and so if you're using it for home use, like if it's just me and you and we're going to have a family chat, then I would just say use your webcam. Yeah. Um, and if you are a business, then I would say invest a little bit and we could either do one of two things is what we were talking about before. Take pre-recorded off pre-recorded video and edit something later or just bring in uh, uh, an external video camera to use as your main source camera. So if you have it, I would say go for it. Okay. And I want to talk about that for a second. So there's a couple options. Uh, I've been playing with several. The first is an application called Camo, C-A-M-O by Reincubate. And I just say, don't do a Google search for Camo because some weird stuff comes up. Do the search for reincubate camo and you're good. And, or we'll put it in the show notes, but I've, I bought a license to this application and I have found it's great. It gives you a ton of controls over the camera, like the actual camera features in the iPhone. And if you attach it to like a glyph um, tripod mount and you can like even put it on top of your computer where your usual video camera is, the camera, and then you can use the camera in your phone, which gets you kind of the best of both worlds where you have all that control. Leona was talking about, you get on your Mac, but you have a vastly improved camera and it's, I think it was like 50 bucks for a year. So it's a, it's a kind of a small investment for a big improvement. That's great. I'm going to check that out. Yeah. Related to what you're talking about. So something to note about like the way that I approach things too, is use what you have but I'm always a big hardware over software solutions only because as, as you start to use, for example, I'm using my laptop and say I'm using Audio Hijack Pro and I'm using some other applications, just the more you use, right? Like your, your, your resources on your computer get, get more bogged down. So in an instance where we're recording for a client, I'm always, I'm a hardware solutions person because I also like to touch something. If I can reach out to what I'm using now, like for my audio is my USB pre, I can turn dials other than having to go into a menu and software, but I'm definitely going to look into to camo because then this is where either the budget doesn't call for it or it just makes sense. Then this sounds like a really great option. Yeah. And, and it's also really just kind of a great second camera too. like um, Mike Schmitz, who's on focused with me is getting ready to do some video shoots where he wants to shoot his desk, you know, like he's going to have a notebook on his desk. And he's using camo with an attached iPhone pointing down at his desk. So in that case, he's got a camera pointing at him from his Mac. And then he's got a second camera pointing down at his desk using camo. So it also gets you the option of like a two camera shoot for video conferencing, which for, for a very small budget with hardware you already own. That sounds great. I'm definitely going to look into that. Thanks. All right. <laughs> Glad to help. Well, I've been thinking about this yeah. too, uh, but the, the, then the other option I'm looking at, and I really want your advice on, is these devices where you can connect a a real camera. Like if you've got a digital SLR and you just want to use that as your camera with one of your nice lenses. And the the one that everyone tells me to get is the Elgato uh, Cam Link. Um, mm -hmm. But what I mean, what are your thoughts on those? And explain how they work. 
I think they're great. So it's an interface device that will ingest the the output of your camera, whatever you're using, for example, if you're using, and typically, for example, let's use the Elgato as an example. There's an HDMI version. I don't know if there's an SDI version. Something that I've used before is a Blackmagic device. Um, and on the Blackmagic device, you have an option. So for like pro-level cameras, often you'll have what's called an SDI out. And it's just a little bit more of a secure um, and high quality uh, connection yeah. and can run at a further distance um, than HDMI. HDMI has a limit, I think, of like 25 feet. Not that you're necessarily in, in most instances going to have to use that. Yeah. The Elgato, as an example, use HDMI as an option. So you can go from your, your say you have a Canon 80D and then as an HDMI out, you can use that as your webcam. So you can go out from the camera you can cable and go into this Elgato device as an HDMI input. And on the other end, it's going to have either also an HDMI or uh, I think there's also a, a USB version. They're USB versions. So it plugs directly into your uh, laptop and then your whatever you're recording through, whether it be OBS or you're going to YouTube, whatever it is, it will recognize your Canon as a, as a, as a, an option to use for your, for, for filming. Yeah. And this, this absolutely works. So I bought one and mine has USB on one side and female HDMI on the other side. So I just get an HDMI cable out of my Sony camera and plug it into this thing. There was no software to install, although I do believe there is software if I wanted to tweak it. But it just shows up as a visible camera then in my um, in my camera list in Zoom in you know all the usual suspects. So suddenly I have this massive upgrade to my camera, and if I put like a lens on it with a low f stop, I can look very fancy um, for the cost of this this piece. And I wouldn't recommend like if you're just doing zoom calls for work, going out and buying a, a digital SLR and this, this device, which I think was like 150 bucks or something, it wasn't cheap. Right. But if you already have the digital SLR, you can dramatically improve your game with one of these. I can, if anybody's interested, I'm, I'm glad to share. I can share, um, I can send you a link if you want to include it or not. I found a, an inexpensive version that I've been using for a while. And I've had a couple of clients that use it and they just love it. And it was like $50 and it does exactly what the Elgato does. I haven't had any issues with it. I haven't needed any support for it. I say that to say like, I'm not, I don't have any affiliate links, nothing like that, but sure. it's just an option that we've been able to use. And it, it's, it's working fine because for a while at the beginning of all this stay at home order stuff, it was really hard to come by an Elgato. Yeah. So I just <laughs> kind of did a search and I ordered a bunch of stuff off of Amazon and this particular one, like I'm still recommending it. You know, with caveat with any hardware, you know, at some point, maybe it's not supported anymore, but right now it works. What, what's it called? Do you know? I can't remember. I'll have to look it up. I'm sorry. Let me, I don't want to. No worries. Have, have we'll just, typing. We'll I'll, just I'll keep share. going, but we'll, uh, we'll put it in the show notes and I'll put a note in the link that this is the one Leon likes. I wish I'd known that before I'd spend 150 bucks on the Elgato. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Oh, no. I mean, Elgato is a long time company too, though. Right. So you're kind of buying what you get. Again, I haven't had any issues, but you're, you know. You'll be good with Elgato for a while. Important safety tip with those. You got to, it does bring over the user interface of your camera, which is what got me in trouble on the, uh, the St. Jude, uh, podcast Cause that showed up and it was, a, it was a big mess to get it sorted out. But the, uh, it's really, it, that's like kind of second level. And then I guess the third level is if you want to go crazy, you can get like one of the black magic devices. They have like faders and ways to like pan between cameras and 
Yeah. The, you can go crazy with that. We had Micah on the show last month, and he's using one of those with all the stuff he does up there for Leo Laporte and Twit. And uh, that that's really kind of a next level up. I like that guy. I love those shows up there. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's next level because you really could. You're going to start me geeking out really on the level of like suddenly I've got, you're going to be surrounded by hardware if you let me incorporate one of those. But yes, that is an option. I was doing a call with a friend of mine. We'll have to have him on the show. Somebody, Chris Bailey, the guy who wrote the productivity project and stuff. And we were just on a, on a call together and he has one of those installed and he was like fading between his various cameras. And I, <laughs> I suddenly felt super inadequate. I mean, if you want to like, <laughs> you know, just like make everybody else on your call feel bad, that's definitely the move right there. Uh, what is that thing called? Cause they made like a kind of a consumer level one. Yeah, those are great devices, and I'm a little bit jealous. Um, so we still work in um, some of the bigger the, – the, the company is Blackmagic, and they created this mini switcher, if you will, or extreme switcher that you can use. Not unlike the Stream Deck, which we'll talk about later, but the ATEM um, Mini. And then they came out with a new one that – and I don't actually remember the difference, but um, in with the new ATEM Minis, you can input almost anything into that. And the device will allow you to pull that into, and you can switch and pull it into your stream. So you have dedicated buttons like input number one is your laptop with, you know, a video that you want to share. You have an external audio device that you want to play music from. You can use that and switch separately from that. So you have all these options, but you also have the option to like flying graphics and you just get super like geeky with it. And it's pretty slick the way that we used to do that involved like a lot more equipment. So it's just amazing. And for the price, like it's not cheap. I think the, it starts at a thousand or $995. So again, it's kind of a, not a, you know, you're just streaming from home and you're not monetizing in any way or that kind of thing. It's, it's a little bit expensive for that, but um, it's a really solid device and black magic has been around for a long time and they really know the video space. So in terms of what you're talking about, like leveling up, leveling up, like that's definitely on the, the books for something that I've recommended and that clients can use if they want to. So one of the things that I try to do also is teach them how to do this. I don't necessarily want to have a job where like it's my job then to be at every stream that they do. I want to teach them how to do it. Yeah. So this is a way for them to get into that space and, and be good for a really long time for what they're going to do. They don't need anything heftier than this, but they also don't have to tax like, computers and worry about their computers being strong enough to handle, you know, video ingestion over time and, and, and output to the internet and that kind of thing. So, so to clarify again, the A10 mini really is just a switching device. It doesn't do all the things that we're just talking about. It doesn't have computing power in it, but it allows you to take all these different devices into one space and easily press buttons so that you can pull it into your stream. Yeah. And it's just one feed coming in. So your computer doesn't have to manage all those streams at once. It's just basically limiting the data in, but it also has like fades and cross fades and and ways you can transition between the cameras on device or into the camera feed that really stands above other options. And if it does have the ability to do a classic star Wars line fade, you know what I mean? If you watch (laughs) star Wars, if, if it does have that feature, I don't want anyone on the internet to tell me about that. Please do not tell <laughs> Otherwise me. Otherwise you're going to have one. Just just don't tell me. Just don't tell me <laughs> that I could have the ability to give myself Star Wars fades. That is information that would be dangerous to me. 
let's just set that straight up. Okay. Um, so we talked about the cameras, but you know, I know, like you said earlier, you, a big deal about this stuff is trying to solve these problems at the hardware level and not the software level. And I think one of the biggest mistakes people make, cause I've been doing a lot of video conferencing lately is lighting. Yeah. So like the biggest issue, and you've probably seen this is people just don't have enough light. Let's, let's start with having enough light, regardless of what color it looks like. Sometimes you see people that look super yellow or whatever. That's fine. At least you have light. Start with light. Please have light. so there's a couple instances where if you're near a window and you can sit in front of a window like that's some of the most beautiful light you can get the challenge with that kind of light is that the sun changes and so you'll see it in the camera so i often like recommend to people i mean unless that's what they're going for um, is to darken whatever windows you currently have or use it in conjunction with with some other kind of um uh light so many times people will have what like in Film industry people will call practicals, and that's just some kind of lamp that's in your house. Yeah, and it usually has a particular color hue. You can go anywhere from like Home Depot and just get a DIY light. Again, the color's not going to be great, but having light of any color really is going to be better than not having it at all. Or you can go, and a lot of quite a few people do this. Will buy go to Amazon and buy, for example, like a ring light. It's very flattering to your face if you're sitting in front of a computer the entire time. If you're not getting up and walking around. Uh, a ring light is very flattering and it's super simple. And typically the way that it works, if you can imagine it's shape in the shape of a ring and there's often uh, a place for you to mount a, a camera in the middle of that ring. And it just, uh, you've probably seen a lot of people do it, but it's a very flattering light um, to your face. It gives you just something really even and, it, and they're not that expensive and it's an easy way to level up that video. Yeah. And the nice thing about a ring light is they're, they're usually pretty wide. So where you have like a small light that you're trying to use, it actually doesn't look as attractive on you with the ring light. It's wider. And it's just like, that is like an easy way to solve the problem. Yeah. That's all I would say really about is light. Again, like you were saying, there's ways to level up your light. There's, you can use a single light and just make sure that your, you know, video will resolve much better. You won't get grainy video and you'll be able to see the other person. You go to two lights and you have like what's called a key and a fill. So you have something that's kind of in the back of you that will back to the side of you that kind of offers like a separation. It's something kind of more, more artistic than anything. Um, and then you can go to like a three point lighting system where if you're in a larger room or you're in an office or you want to show something in back of you, you could even light the background, for example. And there's different ways you can set it up. That's not specifically the only way to set up three those three lights, where one's in front of you facing you while you're facing your computer. The other one's to your side, kind of lighting your side lighting. And then something rear facing the backdrop. This is one example. Yeah, and a ring light, you know, a decent ring light's going to run a couple hundred dollars. If you want to go even more budget but still improve, there are a bunch of LED panels on Amazon in the $50 range. And they're just little panels of LED lights. So they don't use a lot of electricity. They don't get too hot. And you could like, let's say you're sitting at a laptop. You could put it right behind the laptop pointing at your face. And uh, the the power trick there is get one that has a temperature adjustment on it. Because they make them that are just all blue or all yellow. And, you know, if you have one that has a dial on it where you can kind of change it from hot to cool, you can kind of get it in there, but those are like, it's like $50 to get one of those. And it's going to make you look so much better. And no matter what camera you're using. Right. And usually you can get away with one of those. And it depends again, how far you're going to put it away from you. Something to notice about those, those uh, led lights is often the brightest 
you, a lot of a good place to start is a, a color temperature that's right in the middle. Um, and it usually it matches what like the sun is what they call daylight. A lot of times the brightest part of some of those LED lights that are in that $50 range. They're great. And if you're not going to put them that far away from you, the brightest point of those lights sometimes is at the very cold end or the very warm end of that. So you'll end up looking really blue or really orange. Um, just be aware of that if you're going to buy one. Oftentimes the brightest part is not that middle part, which is, again, that daylight part, which is a lot of times where you kind of can start from and then dial it down or up to be cooler or warmer, depending upon what, what kind of look that you want. But in the instance of using it for uh, your video conferences at home, great light, 50 bucks, and you really can't go wrong. And I can, I can uh, give you some examples of some of those as well if you want if anybody's interested or i can give those to you david we're going to load up the show notes for this one um uh, and you know the last tip online i'd say is just look behind you i mean if there's a window behind you yeah that is the big problem i mean like you're ahead of 99 percent of the people that are doing zoom calls right now if you can just make sure that there's no window behind you it's just right you know right. It, it's i mean how we've all seen it every day every zoom call is at least one person where you see a garden behind them and you see the outline of like a state witness you know in front <laughs> and that's because in fact but you can solve that i mean if you really want a window behind you you got to spend some money and get a light and put it in front of you you got to light yourself right. more than the window in fact uh, uh, the main angle I'm using in my new kind of location, it has a window behind me, but it's okay. Cause I've got a ring light and a, and a reflector and some stuff going on in front of me where I'm brighter than that. So it'll work. But boy, if you don't spend effort with a window behind you, you are, you are dooming yourself with your video. Right. Yeah. Like I said, unless you want to look like state's witness, which, you know, maybe no yeah. judge, no judging. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you by Mars Edit, the premium blog editing app for the Mac. Mars Edit gives you the power to write, preview, and publish to your blog right from the comfort of Mac OS. That means you get really cool features like the Mac's built-in spelling and grammar check, access to your photo library so you can easily upload images, and so much more. You can save drafts of your posts locally on your Mac, fine-tune them until you're ready, and then share them with the public. It works great with WordPress, micro.blog, Tumblr, and many more. And with most systems, it can even download the entire history of your blog, so you'll have a permanent copy of your blog post safely stored on your Mac. I've been using Mars Edit basically forever. Almost every single word published to 512 pixels has gone through Mars Edit. I don't like writing on the web. I don't like editing on the web. I want to be in a native, rich Mac app. And Mars Edit is the answer for that. So get out of the browser and into a beautifully designed Mac app where you can focus on your writing, sharing your thoughts, stories, or artwork with the world. MPU listeners can get 20% off the one-time purchase cost of Mars Edit by going to marsedit.com MPU. That's marsedit.com MPU. Go there now, check it out. If, look, if you write a blog and you use a Mac, you need Mars Edit. Our thanks to Mars Edit for the support of the show. All right, earlier I said the big deal was lighting, but maybe the bigger deal is audio. Yeah, so I mean, people will probably, you know, testify to this a little bit. You can watch bad video for a while, depending upon what it is. But I argue that you really can't listen to bad audio for real. Like you'll just turn it off. 
it's just not that interesting or not that interesting. It's just hard to listen to. Yeah. And so even though you're doing a video conference, like audio is king. Like if you can get good audio, the truth is like you could, depending on what your content is, if there was no video, your audio could carry it. At least people could hear what it is you're talking about. But uh, in that kind of in that vein, what we were talking about a little bit earlier when we were talking about using your uh, DSLR camera, often what people would do with those is they'll get, for example, a, a um, like a shotgun mic and put it on that and then they'll record the audio into the camera. You can do that in the instance of a video conference if you're recording on your camera, but what I would recommend instead, as I have with everything else, and going back to hardware, separately having some kind of audio recording that is not embedded in the video. What I mean by that is right now, for example, say we're recording on Skype, I'm actually recording my audio separately into uh, two things, software, and I'm also recording into uh, a handheld recorder that I have. Yeah. For a couple of reasons. One, if anything goes wrong with audio, I've got backup on backup. Um, and two, and just the quality is just, you just have more control over it. You can go into something where you can adjust levels. For example, right now, like I'm going um, from my microphone, I've got a lapel microphone that I'm going into something called a sound devices USB pre. And the pre is the thing that manages the audio for right now, my microphone and my computer, my laptop. Yeah. And then I'm going out to my recording device. Again, so if something comes up in the course of the Zoom call, I don't have to interrupt the software or anything. I can just reach in front and touch the my USB pre uh, and adjust audio levels. And if the recording stops, I can just hit record again on the, 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 uh, the recording device. The other thing that this to go along with that is a separate device to monitor or listen. So specifically earbuds or headphones. I know people often don't like to do that and they just like to use their computer speakers. What that will result in oftentimes is feedback. So you can, the person that you're talking to or that's listening to your Zoom will be able to hear themselves back because your computer, your microphone will pick up the output from the computer speaker, if that makes sense. Yeah, and that is like unbearable. Now, now yeah. Apple does a pretty good job with their microphones of trying to cut that out where it doesn't feedback. But whenever it happens, it is just unlistenable. And in fact, let's work up this stack from kind of the low level to the top. We, we started at the top with kind of the shotguns and everything. But sure. if you're doing these calls, the easiest thing you can do is a pair of ear pods plugged into your computer with a cord or even a pair of AirPods if you have them. And I, when I'm just doing like work related calls with clients and stuff, I just use a single AirPod in one ear. And I, if I, because I have a microphone already set up with my system because of my podcasting, the microphone will be on the right. The AirPod will be on the left. And that way the AirPod doesn't have a chance of bleeding out of my, like if I have it too loud, the microphone doesn't pick it up. But I feel like uh, one of the advantages of the AirPods is you can run just one at a time. So you don't look goofy with two of them hanging out of your ears. Um, and you can get the audio in just fine. Now, if you don't have a fancy microphone like I do, if you don't have a podcast, the microphone on the AirPod also is fine as an input to your computer. And I feel like that is both using the microphone and this, the speaker on the AirPod is once again one of those big things like removing the light behind you in a, in a lighting situation. It's like you get so far along the path if you just do that. Yeah, I mean, I mean that's that that's what works most for for most people. And I would say, like you said, just go that route. I mean, I think there's there's definitely nothing wrong with doing that. It's easy to control. 
related to everything that we're talking about, including what you were just talking about. It wireless is always in like Bluetooth connectivity, wireless. I'm also a big fan of wired. So like yeah. Even down to internet connection, like right now I'm I'm wireless, which I don't typically like, but I'm not in a place where I can get close to the router. But a wired anything, like even earbuds, while it doesn't look that great, if you can go that route, it just reduces the amount of things you have to troubleshoot if something's happening with your audio. Yeah, one less point of failure. Right. Yeah, that's a good point. And, um, you know, just if you're doing a lot of this conferencing, having a wired connection to the internet, having your earbud wired to the computer. It's just one less thing. Although I have to admit, I do as I say, not as I do. Cause when I do usual conference calls, I use the AirPod. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Well, yeah. I mean, it works most. It, I don't, I haven't had it fail on me, but you yeah. know, just it, it, or in a, in a, in an environment where you're doing like a live stream or present presenting. And I'm saying people do it and like I said, it works fine. But um, the other thing to think about too, when you are, at this level, like if you're going into Skype or even Zoom, there are controls that allow you to do things like uh, reduce echo, um, reduce, like we were just talking about, that ambient audio. Yeah. The place to be careful with that, and typically it works, but the place where it's to be careful with that is if you're a musician, for example, and you're presenting, I would disable all of those functions and figure out an external solution. It if, the, if your only solution is to record into your phone and live stream there or your, your laptop, then, of course, do, you know you have to use what you have to use. If you have the option to go outside of that, at least disable those functions and figure out how to get that audio um, into your, your stream. Because oftentimes it'll clip at weird places, like for musicians if you're singing. Because each of the different – let me use Zoom as an example. Um, there's low, medium, and high there's an example, low, medium, and high, where you can enable or disable yeah, the um, the ambient noise from, from those things, the filters, yeah. And each one will cut out a different level of sound. I'll give you an example. I was uh, doing some Morse code stuff, and I was going into a stream, and my, my, the output from my Morse code device was clipping. Well, it wasn't clipping, sorry. It was limited out, so you couldn't hear it at all. Yeah. Um, and in some instances, like voices, depending upon what le- what um, part in a voice is, it'll clip that voice out. Like you said, it has to do with frequencies. So for musicians, because you're kind of all over the range, like that's one thing. If you're just doing au- voice audio, typically those do a lot to help reduce any of that ambient noise and just get rid of any um, distractions, any other distractions. So th- those are a good option. Yeah, and also I find a lot of times those built the software filters will will level it so like the volume is the same all the way through, but means if there's a soft noise, it can get very loud and loud noise can get soft, and sometimes that's a bad thing. I I totally agree yeah. with Liana that the, to the extent if you want to improve this stuff, the hardware is really the solution, and like so the AirPod or or EarPod plugged into your computer is a nice upgrade, um, but that combines the microphone and the hearing together i think if you want like the next level up from that i would recommend getting an actual microphone you know because the and i'll have to say the microphones in the Macs these days are actually pretty good they have noise canceling they have multiple mac uh, microphones installed in them so there's a lot of options for you but if you really want to like improve like because i have this podcast rig i've got a really nice microphone and every time i get on a call it's almost a distracting subject of how much better I sound than everyone. 
<laughs> but you, you don't have to get a fancy podcast mic. I mean, just for like a USB mic or something like that in front of you with a, a pair of headphones on that don't bleed into that microphone. Um, that is a great way to improve your audio. Yeah, absolutely. And, and something to be aware of related to your audio going, going in, depending upon what you're doing, you may run into issues where the audio and the video are not syncing. There isn't a lot that you can do from a software level. I mean, unless you're an audio engineer and you really know how to use something like Pro Tools and you're using something like Pro Tools or Logic as a pass-through and you can set an audio delay. For us normal users, there isn't really a lot that you can do about that. So just kind of expect that depending upon what you're doing. It doesn't typically happen in voice calls, but if you're doing playback of video inside of, say, your, um, I'll use Zoom as an example again because people seem to be familiar. In Zoom, there's an option to do a screen share. And oftentimes you can share assets like video. Sometimes you'll watch the video and just like, you know, a, a, a bad dubbed movie, the audio will not sync up. In that instance, there's no way to manage that sync. There are ways to do it externally. And that's something I think that, you know, the average user is not going to need to do on a larger scale, like a conference, for sure. That's something that we would manage in a hardware device specifically made to uh, manage that audio delay. But that's a question I often get. It's like, yeah, it's like, for some reason, my mouth doesn't match the video. Yeah. Out of the box, sometimes you might have those issues. Yeah. And that's really where, you know, your, your gig comes into play, where people go beyond the normal video conference and they want to bring in video assets and you know something more produced um that's a lot of the stuff you do right right yeah exactly like there's there's a lot of functions oftentimes the clients i have they want to be able to to produce the content they're they're concerned with the content sometimes we'll help with that but a lot of times it's like just leave the technical stuff up to the stuff that we do you don't have to think about this stuff so you can uh, work on producing the best event that you can produce yeah so how has that changed with the pandemic that process Sometimes, so there have been instances where I've worked with clients, but they had remote offices, for example, and we could actually just send equipment to them. And then we would set up a really basic Zoom. We didn't worry about quality or anything like that. It was just, let's set this up so you can open the packages and we can tell you how to set all this stuff up. Or in extreme cases, you know, calling somebody and saying, hey, can you go meet with this person? We're getting on a Zoom call and I'm going to talk through it and you can help them set it up. We can't do that anymore. And so, um, well, for now. Uh, and then the other issue, as I mentioned before, that we were running into is being able to order stuff and get it sent. There was just a large shortage um, of of supply uh, yeah. of equipment. So kind of limiting myself now to having somebody who is a local contact with clients who have a local contact of some sort, whether it be you know a business uh, partner that they have or it's the business themselves, they have somebody here. In the last maybe month or so, we have been able to meet up with you know, every social distancing and with um, with everybody wearing masks and that kind of thing uh, to either show them how to use it or there have been examples where we go in, I say we, right now it's been me, going in with equipment to a dedicated room and I'll set it up and then I leave and we have a Skype and I they literally have to turn the computer on and I just kind of walk them through how to use it. So oftentimes it's just setting it up on our own. So you set up the lighting and the camera right. angles and everything they just walk in and right. do it yeah and just turn it on <laughs> it, right. it is funny because like there's more demand for what you do now than ever but it's harder than ever to actually do the work right right and the challenge is if, if there is any issue so it's you know we're trying to 
I try to keep it as simple as possible. Um, and I've created, you know, for them, like step by steps, like individually with each piece, like with the light, like here are the four steps, here's the light switch. And so and for like the light stand as an example, like for that, I'll tape the, the little instruction sheet to the light stand. Um, the little audio devices that I'm using for them, often now I'm just using a, a basic mixer. I'll just tape something to the mixer. It's really that kind of crass. It's just I'm taping to the mixer, like, here's your instructions. So if you have any questions, but trying to make it as simple as possible. So it's been working so far for those live stream instances. Okay, we're all friends here. You can be honest. Tell us, have you ever like taped over things you don't want them to touch? I do it all the time. <laughs> okay. I do it. I do it all the time, <laughs> yeah. for sure. Yeah. Like there's instances where, you know, there's, for example, the mixture that I like to use is USB mixer and there's a couple of different volume options. And if you just touch the wrong one, like there's no way for me to know which button you touched. Yeah. And so, you know, I'll, I'll tape down like uh, volume uh, knobs that don't have anything to do with what you're doing or, yeah, I still do that. But yeah. I often will, because something will happen and for whatever reason, like somebody, I had this happen. Somebody wanted to come in, they wanted to use their own earbuds. They weren't anything special. They just didn't want, and I get it. They didn't want to share earbuds with anybody. So yeah. I went to switch them out. Um, and it wasn't an issue. It's like in my brain, like there was a splitter. And I was like, if you unplug one and you plug the other one back in, it's fine. That was my fault. I actually should have put tape over because this. Wait, wait, uh, let, me let me interrupt. Let me interrupt. Because there's often a headphone and microphone button. Uh, right. Right next to each other. Right. Yes. Yes. Exactly. And because we were doing a separate audio, like there was the mic button, the mic option was was still uh, something, but they needed the headphone option. Yeah. And it just, yeah. So they it, plugged it, the headphones into the microphone and then suddenly yeah. nothing and it worked. Took, yeah. didn't take us forever, but it took us like, I don't know, it's frustrating, right, for the person too. It took 15, 20 minutes, but it was 15, 20 minutes. You know, yeah. time is money, all that fun stuff. But yeah, I tape over stuff all the time. Uh, like we're in the old <laughs> days, you would be in the room and that just wouldn't happen. Yeah. Right. Wow. Right. Well, we have, I have an extra microphone that I mail to um, guests. Like sometimes we have guests on the show who don't have their own audio setup. You know, not everybody's a podcaster, which is good, right? For the show. But I actually have a whole rig. I mail them. And so I just stick a box in the mail and then they mail it back to me afterwards. And that microphone has guested on many Mac Power Users episodes, kind of the same way, but not nearly as fancy as what you're doing. Very nice though. Oh, it works. Like it's sometimes it's, it's that simple, really. Yeah. And I know we, we talk a lot of gear as Mac power users. We can't help ourselves, but really the basic level stuff we've talked about throughout this show, you know, just get this, the, the window in front of you instead of behind you get something in your ear with a microphone, just the real basic stuff. It's like you get so much further along the road with the first steps than the last steps, you know, before you, you know, the difference between, you know, having the window in front of you is way more than the difference between whether or not you have a ring light, you know, <laughs> I mean, right. and, and so it's just like, you know, it costs more for those incremental things towards the top. But if you're listening to the show and you don't want to spend a lot of money, you can get like 90% of the way with spending almost no money. Yeah, oh, for sure. Maybe you want to create an online store, a portfolio, or even a blog. Squarespace is the all-in-one platform that lets you do just that. There's nothing to install, no patches to worry about, and no upgrades needed. You don't have to worry about any of that stuff. Squarespace has got it all covered. And they have award-winning 24-7 customer support if you need any help. 
They let you quickly and easily grab a unique domain name, and all of those award-winning templates are beautifully designed for you to show off your great ideas. I've been a Squarespace customer for years, and I am because it's easy. Before, I had websites that took a ton of my time to manage and keep running. That's just not been an issue for me since I moved to Squarespace. And with that 24-7 customer support, if there's any problem, I send a note, and they help me fix it real quick. Squarespace plans start at just $12 a month, but you can start a trial with no credit card required by going to squarespace.com MPU. And when you decide, use the offer code MPU to get 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain and to show your support for Mac Power users. Once again, that's squarespace.com MPU and the code MPU to get 10% off your first purchase. We thank Squarespace for their support of the Mac Power users and all of Relay FM. Squarespace, make your next move, make your next website. Aliana, in addition to being in the whiz-bang video streamer and producer, I mean, you run your own business and do all this stuff. And I thought it'd be fun. I went back, listen, we've never really talked to you about how do you manage the day-to-day stuff of the calendar, the mail, task management, billing, all that stuff. So let's just take a minute to talk about that. You know, like, is email a big deal for a business like yours? It is a large part of the what I do is is email based. Um, I have, and I can't remember if it's uh, if you're somebody who lists, who reads or uh, uh, listens to um, productivity folks. It was either Cal Newport or Todd Henry, um, the accidental creative or uh, deep work. One of those two gentlemen said, "Figure out when you're going to respond to emails." And just like stick to that. So people are going to expect that you know, sure. once in the morning, once in the evening. And so I've stuck to that. So it allows me to focus a large part of my day on, you know, whatever else it is that I need to do. Um, and at first it was weird. It was like, am I going to miss something super crucial? People have my cell phone. If it's that crucial, I'll call. Like the mail is definitely something that, you know, I've been able to kind of train, if you will, people that I'm going to respond in the morning and the evening. And that's all. So if you really need something else, like call. Yeah, we talk about this on the Focused podcast all the time. And and hey, if you haven't listened to Focus, you should. Mike and I have been making some great episodes lately. But the uh, I feel like time blocking is yeah. just as useful to draw boxes around things as well as to carve out time for things. So like if you have a um, if you have trouble with email, just say okay, I'm going to give email a half hour in the morning and an hour in the afternoon, and set a timer. And just be done with email then. Yeah, that that seems to work out really well. Um, I know you and I in the past have talked about kind of tracking those kinds of things. So time blocking is is great. That's something I definitely still use. And so um, my email revolves around a morning and an evening time slot, just like you mentioned, a block that I say, okay, this is the time that I'm going to do those things. And so I use a couple of different. I like having a web-based option that's outside of, uh, the Apple ecosystem only because there have been some instances where I've been inside of uh, businesses that have firewalls and like, they insist that you use their computers. They give you a login, all that kind of fun stuff. So you have to use whatever it is that they're using. Um, so maybe Safari isn't available and I have to use something that's weird that starts with an I and an E and I'm not a big fan of it. And uh, <laughs> so I have to be on some kind of uh, Internet Explorer option. And then uh, so I use Gmail as one of my uh, email clients or the web app. And then I'm still using Mail app. I've tried a couple of different um, 
third party like Spark and uh, Airmail and there's a couple other ones I've tried. Dispatch. I've tried them, but I keep going back to the Mail app and it also works when I decide to do anything like I don't do anything super hardcore. I'm sure your listeners are like you. You've used Hazel to uh, like file emails, for example. And I, I do that um, with my with the mail app. And so those are really the only two that I use Gmail and the mail app for mail. Yeah. You know, I I probably once a week get a, an email or a message from somebody saying, you know, hey, Sparky, I'm using Gmail. What's the best app recommendation for the Mac? And I actually, the, my usual response is just don't use an app, just do it in the browser because I mean, that's what really Gmail is all about. If you're going to go down the road of Gmail, you might as well use it in their platform, but I'm glad to hear you're able to get by with Apple mail. I mean, is it giving you any trouble? It hasn't in the early days. I feel like I, I went away from it for a really long time because I feel like I wasn't getting emails and just the weird things were happening, but I've gone back to it and I've been using it consistently now for a couple of years like it's been a while like i'm surprised that you know it, but it, i haven't had any issues since i started went back to it yeah it always feels like like once every year or two there's a whole round of news articles about how gmail stopped working in apple mail and it's like i feel like the team on apple mail and gmail just like it's like a it's like a it's like a couple that's dating but you know, they live in different towns and sometimes they're just too busy to talk to each other, you know? Yeah. Well, <laughs> so the way that I use Gmail is I have a business account with Google apps. And yeah. so I'm using a personal, I'm using a personal domain. I'm not using Gmail. Yeah. Gmail. I'm using a personal domain and that personal domain goes into mail app. So I haven't really had issues because uh, my mail is being hosted separately by gotcha. FastMail. Gotcha. Uh, so you're managing email with time blocks and Gmail. Sounds like it's working. Okay. Uh, now are you using, I mean, the one thing that attracts me to Gmail, even though I don't use it is their online based rule system. Do you use any of that stuff? You know, I don't use any of that. Like my email is pretty basic. I've tried not to go. I used to be super hardcore into like really managing, like controlling, uh, using those things. I feel like, but, um, in recent years, I just haven't used it as much. So I'm not using any of those. The closest thing I'm doing to organize anything is Hazel on, on the Mac. Yeah. I still go crazy with all that stuff. In fact, I just set up Apple mail rules for all of my newsletters, you know, cause we talked a few weeks ago about uh, read a later services. And since I've now given my money to Instapaper, uh, I have a magic Instapaper email address. So I have Apple mail rules that forward every newsletter to Instapaper. And now I don't see newsletters in my Apple mail app anymore. But um, that's cool. And then are you doing calendaring through the Google suite as well? Uh, no. So I use, uh, I just use, I use Fantastical with um, the calendar app on the, the Mac. I mean, all of my input is done through Fantastical, yeah. but I haven't had any problems with it syncing or anything like that. And so, and I just like the plain language. I think a lot of the calendar apps do that now, but just the plain language input yeah. has been really easy. So, and it just works. I, I like the way it looks and I could probably truthfully go back to using just the, the calendar app, the Mac calendar app, but I've been using fantastic app for a while and I just really like using it. Yeah, it is pretty nice. And that they just released all their widgets. They've got some really nice calendar widgets. Um, I like having, their, they do. Yeah. yeah. And I like having their widget on my home screen. Then I can get the app icon out of my dock and I, uh, a fewer things I can put on my, my, uh, phone, the better. 
Yeah, we'll talk about that for sure. Widgets. <laughs> uh, all, right, all, right. all right. What about task management? How are you tracking all these projects? Um, so I just, I went back to something really simple. So um, for a long time, I was a big OmniFocus user. And I feel like my life, like my my work constituted the the detail with which I could track and capture yeah. Omnifo- into OmniFocus. But now I've just gone to using an app called TickTick. Because everything that I need to do now is is very simple. Like it's a series of, and I can copy, I can um, duplicate task lists, lists, um, and it's super basic. I don't do any automation with it. Sure, uh, it's as simple as like Things or any of the you know the Reminders app. Um, but TickPick does give me a little. I like the way that it looks. So there's a couple of functions in it when I when you create um, a task in it, you can set date and time with you can with a lot. I like the way that it handles like lists inside of a task. Yeah. That was a large reason that I went to it. Just, I like the way that it handles that. And it's got, um, I'm just looking at the website. I've never heard of this app before, but it's got collaboration built in and, uh, you can sync across platforms, Apple watch support. Yeah. I can see why you'd like this. Yeah. And I just, it's super, it's super, um, easy to use and it's, it, it, it's very clean. It's not very robust where sometimes I do miss, there's some things that I really like about OmniFocus that I consider going back to, like geo-located tasks and that kind of thing. But my life doesn't, I don't, I don't do that as much anymore. So that's kind of why I went away from that. But if I got to a place where I was traveling again more, I think that was, that was when I was at the height of using OmniFocus. Yeah. There was just a lot about it that that made sense for the way that I was working. I mean, I, I'm a big OmniFocus fan. They used to be a sponsor of the show, but I, I'll tell you the thing about OmniFocus that really sells me. It's like every day is those reviews. I mean, the ability to automate and spe- set specific times for reviewing projects because I just have too many projects, and the ability to go back and review them is what allows me to make sure nothing ever you know slips through the cracks and. uh it's such a great feature. It's just amazing to me that there's, I don't think there's a single other um, task manager that does that. You're right. So going back to what we're talking about time box, one of the things that I do at the end of my day as well as, you know, the the shutdown or my review and my shutdown. Yeah. And so my process now is much more kludgy because I just, I have different uh, buckets that I'm looking versus being able to just go into OmniFocus. That's one of the things I definitely miss. Yeah. OmniFocus made that, that process easier. I don't know if you've anybody's any. I'm sure the Mac Powers just heard you talk about that before, but that's definitely yeah. something that the review and the shutdown. Yeah, you mentioned widgets earlier. Have you gone down the widget rabbit hole? Yeah, kind of. Okay. <laughs> so I heard, I heard uh, Stephen. I think it was on uh, the last episode. He was trying to. He he said something that like resonated with me. He's like, yeah, I don't know if they're for me. I don't know if that's exactly how he said it, uh, but that's kind of where I am. Like I was super excited about it. Like a lot of people downloaded Widget Smith and have been playing with it. But I'm so, my processes are so uh, second nature to me on the way that I've been using my phone for so long and my, and my uh, iPad. Yeah. That while I'm using certain, I'm more using widgets. Like now I know one of the things you've done is you've um, applied uh, picking menus to some yeah. of the, to some, I, mean, I really have to maybe look into that. Yeah. The shortcut stuff. Yeah. The sh- yeah. The shortcut stuff. But I haven't figured out if that's for me. So I'm, I'm kind of playing right now. I kind of, I've done it preliminarily with some widgets because I like making uh, a, a nice looking home screen, but 
but the truth is like the where the place that I spend most of my uh, time is uh, the apps that I will grab regularly, for example, is like my Hue lights. Um, I have a multi-timer for like when I'm cooking. There's a couple of things like that. I use an app called Cheat Sheet and there's a, little, a couple of little checklists that I have in that. Those are on my, my Today window screen or whatever it's called. I just swipe over and they're on my Today screen. So I kind of use them there. Um, so I'm still trying to figure out if, if that's something, but I need to find the time to spend more time in shortcuts because based on our conversations and the thing I've seen you do with them, and I've, I've actually participated in some of your, your, or your webinar and, uh, I've, I've gone through your, uh, your course as well. Yeah. I just need to spend more time in it to figure out like those, I think are the things that make more sense to me to create and widgets on my, on my front, my homepage versus like right now I've got like a Zulu time widget through widget Smith on my, on my, uh, home screen. I just like Zulu time and I'm a ham radio nerd. And so often like if I'm on the radio, a lot of times things are referenced in Zulu time. So it's helpful, but I don't know that I really need that as a widget. Yeah. Well, I think it's definitely the honeymoon period and a lot of people are really into it. A lot of people are discovering how much they're into it. You know, that didn't even know these were coming. I did the experiment through the beta where I'm like, okay, rather than have a few widgets on my screen, what if I just gave the whole screen to widgets? And we talked about this in the last week's episode, but I did it as an experiment, but you know, having, two thirds of my screen show my daily calendar and then one third just be those shortcut launcher menus. That has been great. And I'm surprised at how much I like it. And I'm, I don't think I'm going back, but I also think there's gonna be a lot of people that are going to scale back the widgets pretty soon. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, like what you were saying, like I, I like the sound of that and I've seen that in practice. Like I've, I've, I've seen your home screen. So uh, that looked really nice and it, also looked more calming <laughs> yeah. than looking at my home screen. My home screen doesn't look very calming. Yeah. But also I'm just a person that like calendar blocks to me are kind of everything for me. You know, I was just, I was just recently kind of thinking about calendars and task lists and uh, an insight that occurred to me is, you know, task lists are infinite. You know, you can have a task list that goes on forever, but your time is finite. You know, there's only so much time you have in the day and that's why using a calendar to block your time towards the tasks that are most important is just so critical to actually getting that work done because, you know, the task list will never stop. It'll continue to throw things at you. Um, so you, you really need calendar blocking to kind of help you sort it out and putting it on my home screen for me is just like kind of the ultimate exclamation point. Like every time I look at my phone, I see what I have decided I'm going to do today and I have to live up to that. The days I don't follow those blocks are my least productive days. Yeah, I understand that. That that makes sense. Um, I do a form of, of time blocking that is not in my calendar just because my my days are kind of fluid depending upon what I'm working on. I, w- I wish I could figure out, I haven't really figured out how I can get them to be a little bit more uh, in those buckets. Like it's not, uh, I can't, depending upon when an event is um, and what stage we're in, I don't necessarily spend the same time of the day working on certain things certain tasks, but I do like the time block. I used to work in that fashion. It, it was super helpful. Like I said, if I had a moment of like, ah, oh, what should, should I be doing? To be able to just look and go, oh yeah, that's what I should be doing was super helpful. This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you by Indeed. One of the greatest challenges in life and in work is knowing where to focus, how to take all the information that's available to us and just know where to go with it. 
And this is definitely true in hiring. But with Indeed, you have access to the largest pool of talent and you can hire the right people quickly. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people quickly. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search easier, like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the important hire that you're looking for, just like they have for over 3 million other businesses. Right now, Indeed is offering MPU listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it quickly. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com MPU. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go now to Indeed.com MPU. Terms and conditions apply. The offer is valid through December 31st. Our thanks to Indeed for their support of Mac Power users. All right, uh, Liana, I always ask guests, what are some of your favorite apps and services? And number one on your list is near and dear to my heart. Please share it with us. It is, and for a long time has been, Drafts. All right, dra- Drafts is killer. What, what are you doing with it? Everything for me starts in Drafts. Like it's in my dock on my phone. And everything starts in drafts because you can go anywhere with it. It just makes sense to me to start things in drafts, whether or not it's something that I actually send somewhere. So I kind of use it as a couple of things. It, it sometimes does start out as kind of just a, a brain dump. And then I just go back and look for that brain dump. So it's not highly efficient, but yeah. oftentimes depending upon what I'm doing, I'm either appending something in uh, Google docs or, um, you know, adding a file to like, uh, my iCloud file, but I can, because you can go anywhere from drafts, I've just decided, look, I don't want to have to fuss with like finding, you know, um, going to like word or pages or anything like that to, to start any kind of thoughts, but it, everything starts there. And then it'll go to, uh, for a while I was using bear to, to, to do things. But, um, I just like, it's super simple. And it's the big thing for me is that it's fast Like you open it and it just opens and you start typing. Yeah. For so long for me, the attraction of drafts was the speed of entry. I mean, you just open it up and the cursor's blinking. You start typing or even dictating. It's really good with dictation, too. Have you ever used the Apple Watch um, complication with drafts? I do. It's on my um, the, the watch face that I use during my day. It's my top right complication. and I, I go to it regularly. My The two complications I use the most are I use drafts and I also use um, just record this. Yeah. Um, and so those are for two different reasons. I don't always want to have my recordings in drafts, but those are the, my two most used Apple watch complications. Yeah. I, I like, it's just so like game changing. Like you're going through your day and a, and a thought occurs to you. You tap one button on your watch, you say a few words and then just add a task to your, you know, shutdown routine at the end of the day, clear out my drafts. And then like, you just don't miss things that way. Although I'm kind of curious. So how do you, distinguish between what goes in drafts and what goes into um, just record. Yeah. If it's just something that I want to document, like I want to formally document in like a text document. Yeah. Oh, that's weird. But often I've been obsessed lately with storytelling and being a good storyteller. So I will 
do stuff into just record that is based, but I kind of act into just record, if okay. you will, because like yeah. I'll have a sense in my brain of like a, of, a, of a piece of script that I want to like look into more research or, or I just I want to pursue it a little bit more. Um, but some, a lot of times it comes to me in a way that's like, oh, it has to be super dramatic or I've heard somebody say something a certain way and I just repeat it the way that I heard it. So those are the recording things or things because I want particular inflection or I want to be able to hear something that, that done a certain way. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. I, I really just can't get over. I mean, so the capture thing for drafts was blinding to me. It was blinding like the light of the sun. And it was only the last year or two that I really kind of caught on to how much drafts can do after the text is inside of it. I mean, Greg um, has also upped his game so much since he went on the subscription model that, you know, the app is just getting tons of improvements, but like all the little problems with text, like at this point, every blog post at Max Sparky, except the really long ones are just written in drafts. I mean, I set it up in drafts and I put a tag on it. They'll say Max Sparky blog idea. And then, and then I can just run a work, um, what they call it a workspace for it. I forget the name now, but they, they have a, you know, it starts with a W now it's driving me nuts. Hold on a second. Well, you know, so I'll, I'll go into the drafts and just see a list of all of my blog post ideas. And then I'll select the ones that I want to write for that week. And then I'll switch that tag to action. And that gets me to another workspace and I can go and write in there. And it's just great. And like all these little problems that you can solve with it. I just like, I do a lot of entries into uh, day one, the diary app. And it has driven me nuts for years because I dictate a lot of them. Um, how you dictate a diary entry. And I just want title case on the top line, you know, like, you know, spent the day at Disneyland with Liana. Right. And it doesn't title case that. And if it's on my phone or even on the iPad, going back and like fixing capitals in that is just a pain in the neck. And Apple doesn't have a built-in service for it. I have written the guys at day one saying, come on, give me a title case option. Like if it's, like, why not have the option that if I mark it as heading one, that you apply title case? Because when on earth would I ever make a heading one that I didn't want title case on? And, uh, but you know, they haven't got to that. They're doing other things. And it just occurred to me, like within the last six months, oh, wait a second. If I just do these in drafts, there's a drafts action that applies title case to a line for me. So I'll just do that, you know? And like all of a sudden, like so many text problems where the apps that you use don't have the feature you want you can just solve it in drafts and then drafts makes it ridiculously easy to send that text to the app. And well, I just can't get over how much I continue to love that app. When we were talking about this combined with keyboard maestro, it's just hyper powerful. Yeah. Like really like it's, I've I've been, you know, I started out way back, you know, using Quicksilver, right? Like from then, like now everything is, um, uh, a, a lot of my, my process is keyboard based. Um, it's nice to be able to just continue to do what you're doing and, and, and not have to lift your, you know, lift your finger, your hand up to use the trackpad or the mouse or whatever. And so, like I said, with drafts, it's like, it can go everywhere. That said, one of the apps that I didn't list that I often go from drafts into, sometimes it's just a text document, but uh, many times it's going back to what we're talking about and just either writing things out for clients or, um, some of the the script stuff that I'm working on, 
I found an app called Highland 2. Yeah. And it started out as a, a Markdown-based uh, script writing software. But I'm finding that like writing a lot of different things in it is working for me just because I don't have to think about the way that I'm writing. Like everything's in Markdown, so I don't have to like, is this a text document or wait, is this one a Markdown? I don't have to think about it. Yeah, we had John August, who's a developer between it, behind that app back in 2014 on the show. We're going to get him back. But yeah, it's cool that you've uh, you found a way. And once again, you know, easy capture and drafts into more powerful tools. For me, it's usually Ulysses where I send the the drafts text once I start getting kind of more serious about it. But it's just a great first step. I was glad you you listed that app and there's just a lot you can do with it. Yeah, I want to say that's probably the thing that's most most used most consistently for the longest. Like drafts is really a key part of everything. I've talked lately on the show about Rome Research, and I've been like dabbling with that for some things. But for so much of the stuff I do, drafts is just better. You know, (laughs) it's just you know, it's just it's on all my devices. It syncs. It's a native app. It actually has security. You know, Rome hasn't got there yet with their security model, but. But either way, I do like drafts and, and Greg Pierce, who makes it as a friend. So take that as you may. Um, but you you also are a YouTube music subscriber. I am. So I decided that I subscribe to YouTube premium. So it kind of comes as just being a subscriber to YouTube premium. Yeah. Just because I don't like I don't like I don't like commercials. But um, now that they've added mid roll um, ads, but whatever. Uh, are they doing that to premium subscribers, too? Mid rolls. Um, I've seen it on some of mine. Yeah, I've seen wow. it on some of mine. Yeah. yeah, it's like okay. I guess nobody can avoid it now. <laughs> but YouTube Music, how does it compare to Apple Music? I create playlists, and when I find a song, I'm just I'm creating a playlist. And I'm in that song yeah. or that playlist or whatever. I'm not. There's not a lot that I'm doing to either share my music or I don't know. The playlists work fine for me, so. Uh, for a while, I was an Apple Music user, and I was a Spotify user, um, but I stopped. I just didn't want to pay for more than one service, and I figured Apple Music gave me the music that I wanted. There are rare instances where I don't find the music that I want um, on YouTube Music, or yeah, YouTube Music. I can't even think of an example right now. So it, a lot of it just came down to being able to reduce reduce the fees that I was paying at different places. Yeah. And not having to deal with, I probably watch too much YouTube. Like it, really, if we look at it, I probably could get rid of YouTube music and premium and go back to Apple music and be fine. I think I'm watching too much YouTube. Well, hey, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I feel like YouTube, YouTube is where I watch probably the most video too, but the stuff I watch is generally good for me. You know, I, I watch informative. I'm a big fan of the educational stuff and kind of the philosophy stuff. So I'll, I'm not like pouring junk into my brain when I watch YouTube and every time I put on network TV, that's what it feels like. Right. Oh, agreed. Yeah. It's very, the things I'm watching, there's very much, I'm very purposefully watching what I watch on, on YouTube. There's a lot of really good documentary, uh, uh, films on, on YouTube. Any other apps floating your boat these days? Um, I started using Darkroom for photo editing. Um, for a long time I was a, uh, snap seed user yeah. which i think google bought yeah um and it just worked for what it was that i was doing but i really like uh, just the functions like the the curves and the histogram uh manipulation everything in darkroom i'm really enjoying so that's something i use almost every day i take pictures regularly i don't post as much anymore online 
just in general, I'm just taking a break from social media. But when I do post, a lot of times I'm posting out of dark room. Um, I just and I just like the way it looks. I've gotten to a place where a lot of times I'll, I'll go to apps that make me like looking at them. I know it's dumb because Snapseed did a lot of what I wanted to do. But like I said, there's just a little bit more manipulation in terms of curves, curves and stuff that I really like in Darkroom that I'm getting that I didn't get in Snapseed. And Darkroom is on your your iPad. Uh, iPad and my iPhone. Yeah, that one I have not used that application, so I'll have to check out what and um, what's your favorite features. I mean, I think the curves is really the the biggest feature, the the feature that I like the most. And like I said, I mean, really, I really just like the way that it looks when I open it up. That makes me think, oh man, I feel like I can. I know it sounds dumb, but like there's something about the environment of it that yeah. makes me feel like it makes me feel like it, it's something that I can be creative in. No, I totally get what you're saying, though, because especially on iPad, you want apps that delight you. And because it's such a different experience, I think user interface really matters. It's I'm much more tolerating of a kind of a garbage looking UI on Mac than I am on iPad. Yeah, I agree. It's the very same. There's something also about just the way that I use it. I feel like on the Mac, usually now, if I'm really if I'm on my Mac, I'm doing something that I really just need to focus in. It's something that. I'm on the Mac, I'm going to do that thing. When I, I'm on my iPad, of course I'm working, but also sometimes there's an extent to it where I can just feel free-flowing or creative or whatever, even if it's a work te- email or something that I'm doing. It's something that I can, uh, again, that aesthetic just, just lends itself to it. Yeah. I know you use the pencil a lot. How is Scribble working out for you? So I have to remember Scribble. When I remember it, it's awesome. Like, it's brilliant. I really, really like it. Yeah. It, it's something that I don't remember. It's there oftentimes. Yeah. I feel like the tech press is undervaluing Scribble because the people who write about technology for a living are not necessarily pencil and paper people, right? So they're like, well, I don't use that. So why would I use it on my iPad? But there's a whole bunch of people out in the world that do like pencil and paper. And I mean, there's even science saying that you should like pencil and paper because it helps you summarize better and, you know, digest information better. But I think that it's going to be a lot more useful to folks than the initial take is. Yeah. I mean, I think it's interesting. So I don't know how people are being students for as an example are being taught how to take notes anymore. Uh, I don't know if you ever use, for example, like Cornell notes. I actually still do that when I'm listening to something. If I'm sitting down listening to something, there's something about writing a note and then being able to put my question in the margin and then summarize at the bottom of the page. Like there's a process by which I take my notes and I ingest and then I go back and review that if I'm doing it digitally, it's not as easy for me to write the, the, the way that I have to type it and then type my question either below it or in some other format so it sticks out to me. When I go back to review it, nothing sticks out. When I write it, I can write my note to the right, and in the margin on the left, I can write my question. And when I go back, those almost can be headers for sections of my review. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like in Good Notes has a Cornell uh, template in it so you can like use it right on your your ipad i mean we we covered this in the read it later episode just recently on the show and i got several emails from people that were i mean there were nice emails but they were also like dude you are making this way too hard but for me it's that process of highlighting and highlighting again and then summarizing that i actually am able to use the information like if i just read a book 
and I don't go through those extra steps, it's gone. I don't, I don't have access to it anymore. I'm exactly the same. And one of the things, like I know we're both being on Readwise and using the Kindle, one of the other th- the things that I have to supplement a little bit for, because I'm still a little old school like that. So on my iPad, I'll open GoodNotes to the right. And on the left side, I'll have Kindle book open. And I'm still highlighting so I can capture the information on Readwise. But on the right side, I still like writing. If I have a physical book, there's some instances where I've, ha- I've ordered books that are his, history books or whatever they are, um, and there's no digital version available, I'm still writing in margin of books. And there's something in me about when I'm learning something that I still want to do that. So while I'm reading my Kindle books, I'm using uh, a notation process inside of GoodNotes, and I kind of have to marry the two things, being able to highlight. But it just works for me. It's a little bit of a longer process, but it works. It's, it's the way I remember things and learn things. Yeah, I get it. I get it. And uh, I, I think it works. Like you said, I mean, and if you can read a book once and absorb it, bless you, but that's not me. Well, Liana, thanks again for coming on today and helping us out with our home video setup. I think this is long overdue on the show. We, we really needed to kind of go into it and I can't think of anyone better than you after, you know, you're helping the president with it. I think you could probably help us. So thank you for that. Very kind. Thank you. And to be very clear, uh, it was 44. Not to be political, just uh, it's just a, a different time. Yeah. Well, I mean, these days, I don't think they would hire somebody. They've got YouTube and right. all these other tools now. That's true. But either way, um, where can people find you, Liana? Uh, Twitter's the best place, Liana Lehua. I'm sure you probably put a link to the show notes. And uh, yeah, that's where I'm usually online. Yeah. Um, also, uh, we are the Mac Power Users. You can find us over at relay.fm slash MPU. I want to thank our sponsors for today, and that is our friends over at SaneBox, MarsEdit, Squarespace, and Indeed. I had said earlier in the show we were going to talk Disney, but while we've been recording, we've had news about the new uh, 12.9-inch iPad Pro, rumored, not out yet, but with micro-LED. So I think we got to go into that in the More Power Users episode today. You okay with that? Yeah, that'll be great. Very excited. All right, we'll do that, and we'll see you next week on the Mac Power Users. <laughs>